Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Right, welcome Lou and Scott. We're back at the Hack It Out podcast. How are you both doing? I'm doing well. How are you? Yeah, all good. Scott, you keeping well? Doing well, doing well. Trying to uh, keep on getting through my COVID joint pain, but I'm slowly getting there. Good, that's good to hear. Um, we're going to talk Tony Finau today. A few people starting to take a few remarks about maybe his win rate. We all understand that he's one of the world's best players and certainly a fantastic talent, but maybe he hasn't won as much as he should. We're going to have a little deeper dive into why that might be. Is it luck? Is he doing things wrong? Should be an interesting one. Right, guys, I'm going to throw this one over to you. I'm here to learn mainly on this one, to be fair, because I'm not an avid follower of Tony, as in I've got nothing against him, but I'm not waking up every morning wondering how he has done. Um, but his story... His story... Yeah, I work with his four with his four <laughs> nephews. There's a decent chance I'm going to get Tony to listen to this. So let's... <laughs> but I love Tony's him. amazing. Like, I love him. <laughs> okay. But, you know, I'm not particularly... When I heard you talking about what we've talked about today, and I just want... But there are some really interesting um, ideas about what might give you more chance of winning tournaments or not, which I think would be beneficial to anyone watching golf and certainly um, even the players to a certain extent. So who shall I throw to first? Who wants to run with the idea of why is Tony not winning enough first? I think I can tee up Lou fairly well. So as you kind of alluded to, there's some stuff on Twitter, people saying that, you know, here's why Tony does or doesn't win. And maybe if he increased his variance, he'd get a few more W's or whatever. And that really isn't the point. It's more of just when I read that, because the finished up saying, He's shot between 68 and 72 in 16 of the last 18 times he's entered a final round in contention. And it's like, well, if he's gaining strokes, like what was the number? I think it's like one and a half or something in the final rounds. Yeah. The, the guy's doing well in final rounds. So there's really only one explanation. If you're not getting very many wins in a final round while playing well, Lou, take it from there. I mean, Sure. Well, I, I think the we've we've always heard Tony doesn't know how to close, and and you always, you know, read the stat about Tiger and how well he did when holding the lead going into the fourth round. Uh, the thing that gets missed in the conversation around all golfers is how bunched up the leaderboard is. And in a recent tweet, uh, they talked about how Tony did when he was in top five going into the final round. So I, I went, I looked at the numbers and there's been 17 events where Tony was in the top five going into the final round. Technically there's 18, but one of those was the Zurich classic, which is a team event. And I didn't feel like I should include a team event uh, in the analysis. I also excluded match play and I excluded the old international, uh, which was a Stableford event. So I went all the way back to 1983. And for the 17 times that Tony was in top five going into the final round, 59% of his rounds, so 10 out of those 17 rounds, there were seven or more players within three shots of the lead. So the leaderboards were really bunched. And to give you an idea where that is, 
There are 206 players since 1983 that have 17 or more events where they were in the top five going into the final round. Tony is number one on the list with the, with the most number of rounds where there are seven or more people within three shots of the lead. So when you start to peel back the layers, you see that he's ended up in situations where there's just a really bunched leaderboard. And it's a lot tougher. If you stand on the first tee of your own club with two of your buddies, it, it's, it's a lot easier to win that round than if you stand on the first tee with 12 of your buddies. And that has to factor into the conversation. I would just say, even if you also know, hey, I'm going to play better than y'all's average today, there's still a really but not, not a very good chance you're going to win when you're playing against that many people. Yeah, when you're playing against that many people, it's challenging. All it takes is when, when there's there's been events where Tony has had um, 12, uh, 11, 17, uh, you know, just this past week at the American Express, there were 12 players within three shots of the lead. That is is challenging to overcome. All it takes is one of those players to have a really good day and you can play well yourself and you're still going to struggle. And when you look a little deeper at Tony's 17 events, there were three of those events where even though he was in the top five, he didn't have a legitimate shot at contending. One of those events, he was six shots back. Another, he was five shots back. Another, he was four shots back. It's challenging to overcome a four-plus shot deficit going into the final round. And when you start getting up into six shots, it, it, it's tough. It doesn't happen very often where people come from that far back. So three out of his 17 events, he was, even though he was top five, he was far enough enough back where it's going to take it's going to take him having a really good day and somebody else having a really bad day in order for them to kind of pass in the night and then when you look at the events where he was in the lead or one shot back going into the final round these are the number of players that were within three shots of the lead in those events 17 11 12 9 7 and four. The one event where he was, he was, there were only four players that were within three shots was the WGC HSBC. And in that final round, he was in the lead. He gained 3.4 strokes in the final round, but lost because somebody played better. He didn't play poorly. He played great, but somebody played a little bit better. Um, so that is a huge part of the conversation when you're looking at win rates and close rates and how people are doing. It's how many people are in contention. If you have to battle 12 people, it's very different than having to battle two people. Yeah. So this is interesting, isn't it? Because if you think about it, if the player, the athlete, whoever it is who's listening to maybe mainstream media chats, which I'm sure they're not affected by, but like some of it filters through, doesn't it, to, to athletes? If you stand there and look at it at face value and don't do the research like you have there, Lou, which is what we love you for as much as, as many as, as other things as well, um, is that you might come out of those events thinking, wow, I can't close. I, I can't, I, I get into a position to win and I just can't win. My idols, whoever they are, I, I would guess most of his generation definitely have total up much re uh, respect for people like Tiger, who is renowned as a closure, a, a closer. Um, it's not really a fair comparison, is it? If you're gonna just compare yourself for last day performance 
player on player because it actually suggests, and I don't mean this in a rude way, your stats there suggest that Tony actually isn't much better than the field he's in. He's a good competitor in that field where the difference with another player is over four rounds. They're able to push themselves up higher than the field which gives them a better chance to win, not just with the amount of strokes that they're ahead, but also the amount of other players who aren't able to play that well at that course, at that venue, those kind of ideas. Am I along the right lines or not? What would you um, say? I, I, I think so. I, I think there, there's, there's, um, there's some merit and some points in there. Um, you know, we talked about Tony. He leads uh, out of the 206 players that have played 17 or more events, where they were top five going into the final round, Tony is leads the pack. He's one out of 206, where you know 59% of his rounds, he's got seven or more players within three shots of the lead. Number 206 out of 206 on that list, interestingly, is Brooks Kepka. Yeah, so okay. Brooks, he only has in his 28 events, uh, there are only 11% of his events where there's seven or more within three shots of the lead. And, and I am not saying that uh, it, it was easier for him to, to win overall. Um, it's a lot easier to close out when there's not that many people nearby, but I could also make the argument that Brooks distanced himself in the first three rounds and he pulled away from the pack enough so that he didn't really have to worry about it. And, and um, Finau has a better strokes gain total in the final round than Kepka. Um, uh, Brooks Kepka in those events where he's top five going into the final round, he gains 1.292 strokes per round on the average. And, and Finau is just a little bit better than that. He's 1.333 is what his actual number is there. So another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. So those two comparisons kind of of uh, what is backing up the point I'm trying to make. It, it's not that Brooks is a better closure because a closer is kind of irrelevant. It's a four-round tournament, isn't it? it? What Brooks has been able to do, and we could we'll discuss if it's other factors, but on face value of those numbers, what Brooks has been able to do more in leading up to the final round where apparently it all matters is push himself into that position where actually he made it not matter as much. So he had more leeway to play at an average and still win, like me getting four up with five minutes to go in a football match. Good chance I'm going to win. It's not that I, I've closed that match out any better than the one where it was nil-nil going in with one minute and I scored a goal. The goals just come at random times. Um, but I guess there's other factors in there as well, isn't there? So there's a part of it possibly where you're suggesting possibly is it luck? Like you have your good rounds at the time when the rest of the field maybe isn't having its good rounds and now all of a sudden you are the closure. Is that another factor? 
I just think that's a function of just putting yourself in that position enough. You know, the one thing that I was going to say back to the idea of Brooks is, you know, in 2017, he was 13th in strokes gained total at 1.204. Lou, that's basically what you're saying. His final round number is right. One, two and change. Yeah. I mean, that's where like the word clutch and all that stuff. It's just, I don't really care for it because I do think that it's just a, a little bit of luck. You know, it, if you if you are clutch that means that you play better than your average under the pressure i always make the argument no you just played worse than your actual abilities outside of it if that's what we're going to attribute it to because there's not a magical switch that you can just play better on demand here's brooks like he he gains 1.2 in the final round he typically gains 1.2 i wouldn't say he's clutch he just plays the same game and it's just, a, it gets very vague. And the reason that I kind of take contention with this just to begin with is, first of all, I had about 10 people direct message me or text me that tweet, but, but then just. Just reference, you've referenced the tweet there. So don't, you don't need to call anyone out or you can, it's not, you know, we're not having to go at anyone, oh, but what the tweet not. was, the tweet was hinting that he needs to work more on creating variance in his in his in his averages of shots basically so he needs to be able to go lower but at the same time he might go higher so in effect be more aggressive to close out is the suggestion that's that's exactly it which is why i was saying that i take you know i don't again i don't take issue with it i had enough people text me like this can't be right somebody saying that he needs to increase his variance in order to win more and the reason that i then get involved in the conversation obviously just trying to educate players the the assumption in a tweet like that is that you will you will make more birdies and shoot some lower scores by being aggressive which you know i would say that's just positive variance just happening to happen on a day you think you got aggressive yeah that does not i just don't want people going out and thinking well i've got to go low today so i'm going to go out and play more aggressively there are a couple situations where you can increase birdies and not impact your average score too much and that's on your tee shots on drivable-ish par fours and your second shot on semi-reachable par fives. You can play those more aggressively and increase your variance and not destroy your average score, kind of within, within somewhat of reason. But there's just no other place where you can increase your variance and not, it, again, totally destroys an aggressive way of saying it, but, but really impact negatively your overall scoring average, which that's just not going to work out then. Yeah, so it's almost suggesting as well that idea that he is not trying to take on drivable par fours or reachable par fives, which, I mean, I don't watch loads of golf, but I don't know many good golfers who prefer to play what we would call negatively as in if a player can reach a par five in two the rule of thumb unless they get out of position is they're going to play to reach that par five in two because you're trying to beat a field of, of golfers who can reach that par five in two why would you put yourself in a more dangerous position that's what i don't understand with that idea it suggests that like is he is he renowned and again i'm not watching those golf is tony renowned for just trying to like poke it around in play i don't well, see no and that's no. that's no. the thing even with this one he, he one of the the par fives he got them all up and around the green in two one time he actually took on a little bit of water from the rough on number five and then on number 11 he actually put a second shot from 265 in the water so he was trying to get it up and around the green and it just didn't work out i, I don't question anything with tony's strategy from what i can tell um, it, but it, as in the, the people's perception of his strategy i certainly don't 
question well, strategy. Yeah, I, I just wanna... I've got a lot of confidence that his strategy sure. is really good. It's the perception of his strategy, because from what you're saying there as well, sorry, Lou, and we'll straight back, just hold that point, is that like to even suggest that you know where that player is aiming and their intention with that shot, subject to then the data that you look at, which is where it finishes, I always think is really interesting to make those comments. I can miss a green 40-yard left with water on the right. That doesn't mean I wasn't going for that green. Exactly. I just didn't play a good enough shot. Sorry, Lou. Go on. What were you going to say? No, so I, I find it interesting that after this Sunday that there's there were comments about Tony not being aggressive enough. On Sunday, Tony gained 1.38 shots off the tee. In the entire shot link era, that's in the 93rd percentile. Tony on Sunday gained he gained 2.41 shots on approach. That is also in the 93rd percentile. If you add both of those, and that's in the 93rd percentile in the entire shot link era. If you add those two categories together, so off the tee with the driver and your approach shots, if you add those together and call the, we'll call those ball striking, and you add those numbers up, that is the 98th percentile for <laughs> ball striking rounds in the shot link era. I just don't understand how someone can say when somebody goes off and has a, literally uh, out of every thousand rounds played on the PGA tour, 20 of them uh, are going to be that good as far as ball striking goes. I don't know how you can say you're not being aggressive enough when you are in the 98th percentile for ball striking. It doesn't make any bit of sense to me at all. Well, See, this well, is, this time... is where it doesn't work, though, isn't it? This is where this doesn't work, Lou. If you are just going to simply throw these statistical based numbers that show that someone is playing a certain way. How is anyone able to do anecdotal little tweets and bits? Like, this doesn't work, does it? It does like you're, not you're work. I reckon I mean, the 90th people, percentile. Say, people say golf's getting wrecked by like the ball and distance. I reckon Lou's wrecking golf. You're wrecking golf, Luke. <laughs> you're you're yeah. not allowing middle-aged men to have opinions anymore. Well, <laughs> you should see my you should see my golf swing. That that's really yeah. wrecking golf you, right yeah, there. Absolutely. Go on, Scott. Sorry, what were you gonna say? Oh, it is just really funny to me sometimes because I've looked at so much of this data, and as I say all the time, I understand the math, but I graduated from college in 1996. I have no idea how to manipulate the database, which is why when I first heard of Lou, I flew to Philly and yeah. met the guy. I'm like, okay, he can put together a sentence. I'm in because it's just hilarious to me to be able to see a statement, you know, uh, quite often be like, well, that's wrong. I don't know how to prove it's wrong, but Lou, here's kind of what I wanted to see. And then Lou knows so much about the game and the data also. And he goes in and just runs it because half the stuff he just said that he ran, I'm like, it's a pretty good idea. I never would have thought to run that, yeah, <laughs> but it's just yeah. so awesome to look that Absolutely. it's the 98th percentile. And so Amazing. My, my last thought on the entire idea though is, so why did, why did Tony not win? Well, obviously there were just a few too many people in, you know, within three shots and a couple people just happened to play great, but what could Tony have actually done to improve his chances of winning? Well, not very many people win with negative strokes gain putting tournaments. And Tony for the tournament was like negative 0.9 or something strokes gain putting. So he could have putted better. Well, that's just like, you, there's only two things I can take from that is, is I need to tell you to go improve your putting or you needed to just get a little bit luckier this week. 
None of that is actionable information that he could have done anything differently in the final round and actually, as a result, improved his odds of winning. Like, you can't just be like, make sure and putt really well today. Like, yeah. <laughs> I kind of, I'm going to try. Yeah. But, and so it, on, on his putting and him not being aggressive enough, he putted poorly. And, and looking back, there's definitely situations where he has not putted great uh, when in contention. But this past Sunday, he putted, uh, he, he ran a bunch of balls. He jammed them by the hole. And you know, he, he's not being aggressive, yet he has an incredible ball striking day and his putts, he's jamming them a little bit by the hole. Um, I don't understand how you, you go from uh, from that to he's not playing aggressive enough. It, 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 uh, it's just very odd to me. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah. Okay. So I want to leave that leads me on to my last point about this, which is about the kind of media's anecdotal ideas. But before I move on to that, I just want to ask Lou. So apart from obviously improving his putting, which I'm sure he would look at his stats and certainly come off around and hopefully feel that's something that he could improve. Is there also a case that it's about luck? Like there is an element of luck that when you have your aggressive weeks and it all comes together apart from your putting it's unfortunate if other people are having that uh, good week as well meaning that there are x amount of players within three shots of the lead or is it not luck he's just not quite as good as he needs to be yet what 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 where do we step what's the out what are we said on that well i i think there's a lot of luck involved it, it's not it's interesting so i i think this um you know, the announcer narrative uh, is uh, creeps into so much of, of what you hear and what you read and what people are talking about. And I was talking with somebody about this the other day, you know, leading into this podcast, I wanted to get somebody's thoughts and ideas on this. And he said, well, you know, every time Tony gets into contention, he's doing, doing it in these, you know, garbage tournaments, and then he can't close out these garbage tournaments. And I, and I went, and I went. And so here's the 17 events that he's been in contention in where he was in fifth or better, the 3M, the BMW, Charles, Schwab twice at the farmers, the Genesis, the masters, Puerto Rico open, the Canadian open Shriners, the American express, the Memorial, the Northern trust, the U S open Valero <laughs> waste management and WGC HSBC. Those are for the most part, those are fields that are, you know, they're some of them are really strong fields, but yeah. for the, I only think I heard one or two, uh, alternate field events yeah, there. exactly like, that's a good that's so a good he's list. getting himself into contention and think back to you know you've in the past and i don't know exactly what they've said but you've heard people like tiger and brooks kepka say uh, in events that you know when they get into contention and they're you know they're near the top or they're at the top they're just trying to hang around right they're trying to hang around and they're going to let some other people make mistakes they're going to let some other people fall back and they're going to just try to hang around and they are going to hope to roll in a few extra putts put a decent number on the board but they don't want to they don't want to kill themselves in the final round and they've they've both have said things along those lines and Finau is doing exactly that he's getting himself 
into contention in some big events, as you can see right here. And he's unfortunately doing it in a bunch of events where there's a whole, where, you know, there's a, there's a, a, a number of people bunched at the top and he's just, he's at the, you know, the, the bad end of the draw there as far as how many players are near the top. And I, I think if, he continues to do what he do. He's going to start winning in bunches because he will find himself in more events where instead of there being 17 players within three shots of the lead, there's going to be three, right? Yeah. And he's going to do that enough times and he's going to start winning in bunches. So he needs to keep putting him in himself in that position, which is basically what you're both kind of saying, isn't it? And then it will just play out. It will just play out if you give it enough goes. Um I mean, who wouldn't want there to be a certain amount of luck in a sport? Like, I'm happy that there's that element of luck week in, week out. That's part of what makes sport so fantastically brilliant to watch. Um, I think it would be sterile if it was all to do with just, um, you know, your data, Lou. Not to put, you know, I love your data, but you know what I mean? You, you do want an element of you don't know who you're going to compete against that week. As in, you know the names, but you don't know which stats they're going to throw on the board at the same time. It makes it more exciting, doesn't it? It makes it part of what makes golf so great, I always think. Um, last question then. Are we allowed to go this way? People do get upset with this. And I'll try and kind of, I'll try and be as neutral as possible. But because like the media, and you can define the media however you want. I'm talking mainstream media, more TV, magazines, doobie doobie doo, you know, that kind of stuff. Because I guess I, we're media now, aren't we, with a podcast? Would we class ourselves as media? I mean, I just class us as free idiots who like to talk golf. But... <laughs> yeah, I think that's a better description. Yeah. Um, why always when the data is there, do they like to use such anecdotal stuff that, well, it hasn't taken long, uh, Lou, very long to kind of pretty conclusively for anyone who wants to sit on a neutral fence, almost disprove a statement of, of that was made. You know, what, what, what's the desire for the anecdotal? So just to start us off, I personally think with my conversations with people on many things in life, it's much easier to have an opinion just given to you that you understand one that's just like you know if it's about politics this is bad because of this but if you actually do some research it's not bad because of that it's bad because of xyz but it's boring to do the research and sometimes people can't be bothered so the anecdotal stuff maybe does work for the casual golfer who just wants to watch a bit of golf and enjoy it or not what, what do you think i'll take this one first Go so it, yeah i um I, I think there's it's there's a number of factors that are in play here uh, one of them being uh, a lot of the announcers that and i'm going to pick on the announcers on tv and and i'll just i will preface this by saying I, I i could not do their job they make it look uh really simple to 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 get on air and talk for four straight hours and fill all of that time uh just talking with you guys for 30 minutes i'm a bumbling idiot half the time i couldn't <laughs> fill four hours so i respect what they do and they and they do it really well but i think what goes into this is they a lot of the announcers are 
you know, they're long in the tooth. They've been around for a long time. They didn't grow up with strokes gain. They didn't grow up with all of this detailed information on golf. They had very simplistic stats back in the day. They had fairways and greens and putts per round. And, and, and that's about it. They didn't have much more than that. And that's what they grew up looking at and understanding. And I think many of them have not transitioned over to all of the additional detail that we have after the advent of strokes gain. So they get on air and I forget who it was. It might've been Azinger. Um, and I like Azinger as an announcer. I think he does a great job, but I, I think it was him. And it was several months ago. Um, and he said something along the lines of, um, you know, from a hundred yards that, you know, they get inside of eight feet, you know, 70% of the time, I forget exactly what it was said. And I, and I heard that and I went, that's ridiculous. And, and I went and I looked it up and, and the, in order for a tour player to be inside of eight feet, 70% of the time, it, it, I I think they had to be like 12 yards. It was yards. even worse than that. I think they said they can land it within three feet of their yeah, target it was crazy. 90% of the time. It was and, totally and, absurd. And so I went and I looked it up and it was, you know, it, they had to be 12 yards away <laughs> in order to hit 70%. And it, it was, it was crazy what it was, but you hear those things often and I'm not picking on them. Um, I'm, I'm we not, are. I'm picking on them well. a little bit. Um, <laughs> some of them are a lot worse than others. And they yeah. just say stuff to say stuff. I don't even know where it comes from. Some of them, I think, might even be trolling us with some of the things they say. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But surely, I mean, I so well, Tre Trevor Emmelman did actually reference Angle Schmangles apparently on TV last oh, week. Oh, did he? So, yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's somebody, awesome. Somebody texted me a clip of it. <laughs> so oh, you got to send that. Here yeah. you go, then. So I'll give you my analogy then as so the more because I agree, I, I struggle to watch and listen to golf because I do find the announcers and, and I've seen behind the curtain of those places, the producer trusts the announcer. The announcer generally is an ex-tour pro, so they trust themselves because they were able to do. So at no point if is anyone actually holding them um, to point apart from them Twitter you know, takes off and people golf world of Twitter explodes and they do take those statements to point. And I do feel like lots of people, certainly the people who used to do certainly like, don't like being told by someone maybe like Lou, who's not particularly the world's best golfer, certainly not the worst, but in the realms of golf, like there's still this element of, and I've seen it with golf pros for years. Like, you know, what's your handicap? You can't tell me that. Well, I've learned some of my best knowledge from people who are not even in golf. Like it's a science-based physics game. So like, it, it, so I do think um, there's that element, but so I've just started watching ba uh, basketball, go the Lakers. Do you, are you, are you 76ers Lou? Is not, or is that, are they Philly? Are they a Philly yeah, they're, team? I, they're a Philly based team. So yeah. I watched, there was a match last night and they won by one point. Amazing match. I love watching it, but few things i like about watching the basketball obviously Wait, I, love I, I love that you called it a match by the way we call it a game over here yeah. i love that you called it a match that's awesome <laughs> um and they use quite a lot of stats like as i'm watching there's a lot of stats they're seven out of ten or they're four out of ten on from the line or from the three or whatever you know they're, they're quoting stats a lot which i like but then i'm also watching as someone who has no idea about basketball just literally getting into it um if they're saying things right or wrong. And I kind of don't care. I'm glad they're kind of some way helping me form some opinions about the thing I'm watching. So I am that golf fan at the moment in basketball. So I'm not questioning what they're saying. There's a part of me because of my background thinking, I wonder if basketball like pros or teachers are watching this going, they didn't do that. 
that's not what they do. That's not how it works, that kind of thing. So surely there is an element that, it, it, you know, the average user doesn't want what you've just delivered there, Lou, as in it's just too much for them. They can't, like, that's but it not could, if, the, if you just know that, I mean, like, it is kind of a tough subject to be just throwing this many numbers out like Lou's having to do here and have it be coherent. But if you just don't make false statements, we could start there. Everything doesn't have to be <laughs> fact-based. <laughs> Everything doesn't have to be fact-based, hardcore number, number, number. Just stop saying stuff that's not that's patently incorrect. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, I, I, I tweeted out um, uh, the other day. I tweeted out something along the lines of, um, uh, I think it was Mike Trout, um, you know, and it's about announcers and saying things that are just incorrect. He, can you imagine in a baseball game? Well, Mike Trout steps into the box, and you know, last last season he had about. 147 home runs. You know, you you would just never hear that in baseball. You'd never hear That's that a great in, analogy, in, really. in soccer. Like, so in soccer, give me a really good soccer player, Mark, because I don't follow anyone. Football, Every time Pele football, has this football. Ronaldo. Ronaldo. Okay. Last season, Ronaldo had 374 goals, right? Could you imagine if an announcer said that? That's just ridiculous. And, and they've put no effort into trying to understand yeah, any of it. But, and they do that in golf all the time. And, and here's the part where I think it, it, um, it hurts the typical golfer, right? The typical golfer gets these and for whatever reason golf we like to compare ourselves to the pros and i don't understand why we do that because we're we are nowhere near as good as they are so guys like me comparing themselves to what they see on tv is just ridiculous to start with but we hear them say those sort of things and i think a lot of golfers translate that to their own games and they try to put pressure on their own games especially players that are low single digit or better and and they have this warped sense of reality and the announcers are not helping that by some of the the the, the gibberish that comes out of their mouth yeah well i couldn't agree with that more as a coach day in day out on the lesson tee i would hear people come back after watching like the open on telly and saying they would just be repeating back what i heard on the telly and thought oh that's ridiculous and they would come in saying you know i, I need to whip my wedges inside x distance that kind of, they didn't say that but those kind of things i used to think you don't at all that's not right and i see it online as well i ask certain loaded questions to get discussions going to get i want to hear what the opinions are from my audience and there are cliche answers given to certain questions, certainly around rollbacks, brilliant. And then, you know, scoring averages on the PGA Tour and how many par fives people are in two and all those kind of things. Um, and you definitely hear the TV announcers coming through in their, in their answers to, your, to the tweets that you put out there. And I do think it's a shame that they've got a platform, which is great, productions of the highest quality, yet they've got no desire to educate. They seem to only want to, well, it's, it's cushy. I call it in the UK jobs for the boys because it is very much a, they regulate themselves a little bit. You know, they're not really allowed, like we're, I'm directly related by, um, regulated by my audience. They, they can comment on everything that I post. I have to have some kind of um, content that services them uh tv is a little bit more they're not so regulated they can say what they want and it just floats away into nowhere a little bit doesn't it which is a little bit more accountability would be very good in my yeah, opinion 
I'm going to defend them here briefly. Um, oh, here we go. I, I, I want to play both sides uh, that, of the that fence. That mark's awful. I'm so like, like I said at the beginning uh, of this whole thing when we talked about <laughs> announcers, if you, I, I'm, I can be very critical from the cheap seats, but if you put me in the booth for four hours and, and told me to talk for four straight hours, I recognize and respect the fact that that is incredibly challenging to do. I still think they, they have resources and, and people available to them to feed them all of this data so that they can present accurate information and data. Um, and, and why they don't leverage that, I don't know, but I recognize how challenging it is to fill space and and it's easy to just say something and, and realize maybe after the fact, yeah, maybe that's true, maybe that's not. Yeah, well, we, we had a run in at a tour event a few years ago with an announcer who took a objector to something one of my um, employees said on Twitter. Um, and he came over literally in the face, like he was like nose to nose with me because he thought I said it. And he, he said, are you this person? And I was like, uh, no, I'm not. Um, get out of my face like what are you doing I mean this is embarrassing we're like a European tour event like what are you doing it's like a bar room like you know in your face but basically he 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 went on to say because he said something about a swing you know he said like you know he, he's he's swung too much from the inside flipped the hands too much and he sliced it like none of it made any sense so <laughs> The person who I work, who I employ, he just literally quoted what this person said and put it on Twitter, like with question marks. And he saw that and he came over to us and he said, I got into trouble because of that tweet. He said, my producer saw that and then was questioning me. Um, and I just thought it was interesting. Like, listen to what, so you say something wrong and you don't want to be accountable. Uh, how does that work? I, like, the, You think about the That's... logic of that. It's like, I'm on telly. He then went on to say, I'm no teacher. They put, they turn on that swing and I have to say something within a second. And I said to him, Look, I'm not being rude. Maybe you should talk to your producer then because you're not qualified to do that. And <laughs> or study. Lots of, and lots, exactly. And lots of people wouldn't be. So don't just do it. Like say, I don't want to do this side of the job. Or if you're going to throw this swing at me, can you give me 10 minutes before you air, like you throw it to me so I can look at it, which they obviously can't do because it's all time sensitive. It was just the the un, the unfolding of how he explained how it happened was no defense it actually showed the production and them up to being more ridiculous but it was interesting that he couldn't see that i thought that was that kind of summed it up for me that whole confrontation was like i get this i get you're under pressure i get you can't do it that's why my colleague put that tweet out because what you were quoted saying was ridiculous um <laughs> And just so you know, like a percentage of my audience were just tweeting us constantly saying, what has he just said there? What has he just said there? So if my audience know that you've said something that makes you look a bit silly, surely you want to know that. You don't want to, like, if no one says, you're just going to keep saying that. And we're all giggling from the cheap seats, as Lou says. Like, take, take some criticism, like take it on and try and get better. That's usually where I get myself in trouble on Twitter is, you know, rewind this thing a year or two and I would see something ridiculous said and I would be the one that would just be calling it out and just, hey, this is ridiculous. I've now realized that's a losing battle. And so now I really only comment on stuff once somebody tags me in it. Mm -hmm. So literally 10 people had DM'd or, or texted me that tweet about Finau and I was pretty proud of myself. I was like, yeah. I'm not going to comment. I'm not going to comment it. Just nobody tagged me. And then shout out big man, Brian Woods for finally tagging me in the tweet and saying, Scott Fawcett, <laughs> what are your thoughts? And I'm like, well, 
Here we go. That's ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. so I do agree it. with Lou, though. I, I would actually like to, you know, second, they do make it look simple. And I do think that putting together a coherent sentence is, is a very hard thing to do. I mean, Chris Zamory and I were shooting some content out in Palm Springs this weekend, and we must have taken 40 takes on every single scene because it's just hard to not feel like you sound like an idiot. And they do a great job of that, but it's just time for them to, at a minimum, recognize man, these guys seem really confident in the numbers they keep on throwing out. Maybe we should talk to them and see if they're right. And, you know, my life would be easier if they were allies. Their life would be easier if I was an ally, Lou is an ally, because there is some great stuff out there to learn. I mean, it would make their product better. You've got to remember, at the end of the day, it's a product. They're selling a product. So they can talk to me, baseball fan, and do a few anecdotal stuff within reason and try and keep it as clever as they am. And then they can go a bit deeper sometimes as well. I do think it could just ultimately improve their product. It will go that way. It will go. It's just often the egos that are in positions at the moment that will slowly change over time can't let go that maybe sometimes they're not quite doing it how the audience want it to be done anymore possibly and i just realized i have on my golf channel uh sweatshirt so yeah. see i am supporting the cause <laughs> excellent so let's go back so just to round up today so it's been a really good one i've really enjoyed that um i'm saying tony needs to just keep doing what he's doing is that a fair analogy is that anecdotal he just needs to keep putting himself in the mix and possibly drill down into if his putting is costing him or not basically like look at the stats and see where to improve is that fair i think that's fair he needs to just keep hanging around and and the winds will come he will find himself and if he continues to do that uh, just by the luck of the draw he's going to find himself in events where the leaderboard isn't as bunched as it has been for him and and when you are when you're playing uh, in events and the leaderboard isn't as bunched, your likelihood of winning goes up significantly. So just keep doing what you're doing. I mean, I, I'm a huge Tony Finau fan, so I, I will say that. And, and uh, that probably leads into how I think about him. But um, when you, when you put bias aside, um, he, if he continues to do what he's doing, he's going to win 10 plus events on the PGA tour by, by the time he's all said and done. Absolutely. I just, while we were doing this, I just quickly went back through his last four or five years of strokes gain putting. And he's basically minus 0.15 to plus 0.15. Like I, I honestly would have thought he was a lot worse than that. It really just reinforces, man, this guy's just had some really bad luck. I mean, for yeah. sure. 100%. Pretty. Anytime someone's around zero strokes gain putting, I'm like, you know, obviously it'd be better to be to, to, to have a higher number, but really you're going to come down to the week you're going to win is going to be week to week variance. And it's really not about what your actual strokes gain number is over the season, which obviously it helps to be better, but week to week variance, you just need a hot putter. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. There you go. So, I mean, I will now come down every morning wondering how Tony's do. I'm going to, I'm going to now follow him a bit more. So it's worked. He's, he's got an extra fan from this. So if you Perfect. do bump into him, if you do bump into him, Scott, you can make sure he listens to this part of the pod, please. <laughs> <laughs> I will. <laughs> there we go. Thanks for listening, everybody. Thank you, Lou and Scott. As always, let us know in the comments down below if this makes sense or it doesn't, and if it's something that you thought about or not, and does it make you think differently possibly about the idea of closing out? Because it's maybe not as simple as just this magical ability to end a golf tournament. Thanks for listening as always, and we'll catch you in the next podcast.